What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to the Hoops Corner. I'm your host, Peter Tran, and on the line, the baby daddy himself, the Iceman, Josh Cohen. How you doing? Quite cold nowadays after these minus 20, you know, days outside in Ontario. It's not been fun. Oh, my God. You guys are dealing with minus 20? We were for a day and a half, so. Oof. Minus 7. What up? Yeah, I mean, it's minus 6 now today, but uh, there was one day I woke up, it was like minus 27 outside, it felt like minus 40 according to uh, the weather network, so that was a fun day to go to work. I was going to say, did you even make it to work? Yeah, I, I stayed, think that I stayed inside the, the entire day. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> one outside in that. You're like, fuck the salt. This place doesn't need to get salted, who cares? Nah, man, colder than the Detroit Pistons offense. Hey, not with Cade Cunningham running the show. The banger in the paint, a residential medical expert, Rajan Walia. How you feeling? You know what? It's definitely not as cold as Russell Westbrook's impact on the LA Lakers. That's for sure. There that's like go. minus 100 Fahrenheit. There you go. Fahrenheit. <laughs> Got to specify. Just just to make sure everyone in LA knows how bad Russ is really being for them, eh? Yeah. In, in, case in. They, in case they couldn't do the conversion, I'm talking real cold. I think... It's uh, colder. Actually, no, it would be minus 100 Celsius, which would be colder, but let's let's just keep it to Fahrenheit. So the equivalent of two for 14 yesterday. With probably like six turnovers. No, so surprisingly, the last couple of games, he has not turned the ball over. So I think he's just not being aggressive. And then he's taking all these shots from the perimeter now because he's like an off-ball player. And he's complained <laughs> about it too, which is hilarious. Sorry to get off topic here, but Russell no, Westbrook no. <laughs> always gets me going. <laughs> we can always badmouth Russell Westbrook, man. That's part of the fun of this podcast. Keep going. Keep going. Tell me more about how awful Russell Westbrook is and how he should be a center. It's it's just funny to me how he's gone into the media now and basically said that he no longer handles the ball and that's not his responsibility. And that's the reason why he's playing bad. Like he was playing good before that when he was actually handling the ball. <laughs> good as in triple doubles. Yeah, because that means a lot from him. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's He's like an MVP, Josh. You're talking about a guy who's been in the league for what, like 13, 14 years by now? Him and James Harden are the most fake superstars in the NBA. <laughs> NBA history, sorry. Oh, NBA history. So, Ooh, you're going real deep on them now. Oh, yeah. I Just mean, a- James Harden had, well, he's had, what, like 50% of his points have come from the free throw line in his career. And then Russell Westbrook has never been able to shoot. Ever. We knew this was going to happen. You know, later in his career, it's happening now. Can, and people can can't believe there it. was. Can you believe there was a moment where they were both on the same team? Twice. Two moments. Two moments, yes. Two moments. One, one in recent memory with a coach who only believed in offense um, and still believes in offense, so... Um, but again, let's move on because this is going to give me a headache. It's making me feel cold, like my extremities are feeling numb talking about these players. Warm me up, Peter. <laughs> hold on, hold on. One last question. How many times has Russell Westbrook averaged a triple-double in a season in his career? Three times. Once. You're both under. Four times. No, three plus one. Boom. There you go. <laughs> wow, I knew this was a team effort. Yeah, quick math. All right, well, guys, let's let's get to it. We had breaking news this morning from Woj. 
Cam Reddish, uh, we've talked about this, like, I don't know, man, for the past year and a half, right? Like, Cam Reddish has finally been moved straight to the New York Knicks, of all places, so that was kind of caught us off guard. Uh, so the Knicks send uh, Kevin Knox, the second, big, big player, not really, and a 2022 first-round draft pick via the Charlotte Hornets to the Hawks for Cam Reddish, uh, our favorite scrub, Solomon Hill, and a 2025 second-round pick. So in other words, the Hawks just gave up Cam Reddish, made them made the Knicks take Solomon Hill off their hands at the same time, and they're getting a, like a first round pick back, maybe a lottery pick if the if the Hornets don't make the playoffs. But even then, like, what are the odds? I think it's lottery protected too. Away. Oh really? I believe so. Wow! So they literally just gave Reddish away, is what you're telling me. I think they can change the protection of the pick when they trade it. So that has not been announced yet as to whether it's top ten or just lottery protected. But either way, Atlanta's been trying to trade Reddish since uh, the offseason, according to reporting today. They almost traded them for the 13th pick in the draft. Uh, for I guess yeah, obviously they drafted Duarte with that pick. Um, but yeah, I mean they've been trying to trade him for a while, and this has been the package they've sort of been looking for: either get a young player plus a pick, or just a higher type of pick. And you know, Knox isn't much to write home about, obviously, but they got their mid-first round pick back, and they got something for him at least, instead of just letting him go in restricted free agency. Does Knox actually get any playing time with this team, who's like hoping to make a, a semi-deep run into the playoffs, or even make the playoffs? No, I mean, Atlanta is a case of they just had way too many cooks in the kitchen, you know? You look at their roster before the season started, and you thought, I thought they had like 13 pretty solid guys that could all play minutes, and sometimes you just have too many players, and you just need to define the roles, and you have guys that come off the bench that know they're playing 20 minutes a game, or know they're playing 15 minutes a game, not having like the lawn right, and, you know, Lou Williams wanting everything to play from night to night. <laughs> who who would have thought that would be a battle that we would see in 2022? DeLon Wright versus Lou Williams for a backup point guard role. I mean, going into the season, you had Kevin Herter versus Cam Reddish off the bench, right? You had Bogdan Bogdanovich and, you know, Hunter starting at the two and the three. They were really deep to start the year, and then obviously the hinders hit. And here they are about to get healthy now that Hunter's back, and they want to make sure these guys actually play the minutes that they're expecting, I guess. I, I love how Josh is claiming that he was the only one that thought the Atlanta Hawks were deep. I think I was raving about it, but uh, we'll, we'll rewind the tapes at a later point. I'm trying um, to take all the blame for saying Atlanta was a top three seed this year, okay? I'm trying to okay. take that off of you. I'm being a team player so, here. I, I see you're, you're <laughs> actually uh, you're doing me a solid here. But um, if I'm Cam Reddish or like looking at his situation from Atlanta to New York, I don't think it's improved much. I feel like the Knicks have a lot of similar, not similar players to Cam Reddish, but players that kind of are in that mold. Like Cam Reddish isn't a top three guy. He's a really good four or five piece, maybe a six player. And if you just look at this Knicks roster, not now, but one healthy, um, they have a lot of players that are like, like is Topin going to play last? Probably uh, how much is Fournier, who they paid in the offseason, going to play? Obviously, Tim uh, Tom Thibodeau uh, has taken a liking to Burks. Um, and of course Grimes has shot the ball like pretty well this year from three. So it, it just, it creates another log jam. Like he's going from one log jam in Atlanta to another one in the Knicks. And the, I'm surprised for how little value they got from, I think the Mavericks would have been better suited to, to try to pick him up. 
Yeah, it feels like the Knicks should have done this in the offseason instead of just signing uh, Evan Fournier. If they did that, I think their upside would be a lot better. And you'd be looking at this like, okay, you know, getting Cam Reddish, he's going to start the two for them now. They're going to give him a nice extension, and he's going to play with Barrett at the two and a three going forward. And that's your, you know, you're starting two and three for the next who knows how many years. And now, like you said, he's in a logjam with Burks, Fournier, Barrett. All these guys are the same sort of player where they, they like to score the ball a lot, but they're not really distributors, and they're not really that efficient either. So, I don't know. I'm not sure this really improved them right now, but overall, like the broad spectrum of things, it's a good trade for them. I mean, they traded like a mid-round pick for a guy that's not quite established, but has some potential. Yeah, and Kevin Knox was clearly a player that just never ended up clicking. He was a later first round pick and uh i want to know where solomon hill fits in on this team on the ir in the g league (laughs) i I love how you guys took that so seriously (laughs) come on man i was Uh, just stone faced there guys actually thinking i was being serious no man um okay i i brought this up to you guys earlier but you you shushed me down pretty quickly but why, why don't we see Cam Reddish developing into something like Jimmy Butler was in Chicago? Butler came into the league. Okay, I know you give me that stank face, Josh. But Butler came into the league as a late-round pick. Second-round pick? Butler, right? It was a second-round pick, I'm pretty sure. Or like a late first-round pick. pick in the first round. It was very, like, you know, it was a late first-round or, or like a second-round pick, right? And... He basically just worked his ass off. Obviously, we all know Jimmy Butler's work ethic. And eventually, one summer, he comes out and says, yeah, I'm ready to be the point guard for this team, for the Chicago team. That was when Tibbs was still there. That was when Derrick Rose was still trying to like recover and do his return for like the 80th time or whatever season that was. So my whole point is, what if Thibodeau just grooms Cam Reddish to be another Jimmy Butler type of facilitator? What if he just suddenly becomes like a great assist man, averaging more than one assist a game? See, that's best case scenario. <laughs> like best case scenario is Tom Thibodeau has his lab and he's like taking some of Jimmy Butler's DNA and like doing some experiments. But um, obviously Reddish has the potential and uh, I, I think he is probably a player that has actually his growth has been stunted by the log jam that was there in Atlanta. And now that he's going to most likely get consistent playing time, uh, I think his game will take it up a notch and he might end up being a, a third option on a team later in his career, but not now. And again, I think the key thing for him is the Knicks are probably going to have a, a lineup with, it looks like Kemba Walker went healthy. Then RJ Barrett is going to play Cam Reddish you're going to have Julius Randle and Mitchell Robinson. Is like that the five going forward? Well, then you have $20 million coming off your bench in Fournier. So I think Cam Reddish is going to be coming off the bench, honestly. And, you know, Thibodeau, you got to prove yourself, obviously, on the defensive end. You don't think he's coming off the bench? Which, which no, he'll come off the bench, but he'll fit, he'll close games. Yeah. The I more important part of everything, right? Like, who cares about who starts? I want to know who's closing the game for Tibbs, and Reddish is going to be there. You're telling me Tibbs isn't gonna put down uh or isn't gonna play a three and like a strong three and D down the stretch? Get out of here. Yeah, I can see him playing Burks with Reddish and then uh Barrett at the three. Barrett's played better yeah. recently too. 
But the main difference between, you know, a guy like Jimmy Butler, who's like really unique in how his career has gone, like name another guy that's come up and look like a scrub the first couple of years in the league, then turn into a defensive stopper. And then all of a sudden, in his fifth or sixth year, he comes in and he's handling the ball and scoring 20 points a game and getting seven assists a game. That's not Cam Reddish. Cam Reddish uh, is... Pa- Pascal Siakam might uh, have something to say <laughs> about that newly found facilitator role. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I guess Point so. Point center. I guess so. Point center. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, Jimmy Butler's a very unique case. Yeah, if you want to include Pascal in that, sure. But, you know... <laughs> Cam Reddish has shown, I think, more potential than Jimmy Butler did in his first couple years. But Cam Reddish doesn't have the dog in him in order to reach another level. I don't think. I think his like his max might be like Tim Hardaway from last year. Whoa, whoa! What an eighteen point per game guy on a good team? That's not bad. Oh no, no. I think offensively, but defensively, I think he'll be better than Tim Hardaway Jr. He already is. He's a much better defender than Tim Hardaway Jr. Reddish is a beast. Yeah, defensively, nah, man. Have you Jimmy seen Reddish Atlanta this year? He's, he hasn't helped. <laughs> Yo, it's not it's not his fault that the whole team can't play defense. Not one player on that team likes to play defense. Not even John Collins or DeAndre Hunter. Those are guys who were supposed to anchor them. Clint Capella has been a ghost. I'm good, man. Don't put this on Cam Reddish of all people. <laughs> like the hell? Here's a better question. Does New York try to bring down his value by not playing him as much this year so they can sign him to a better contract? No. Thibodeau's win now. He's going to play his guys. So what kind yeah. of contract is he going to get? He'll get a contract probably similar to Fournier's. Fournier's was, what, a two- or three-year contract? Oof. Oof. He got four years 80. Yeah, he'll probably get something no, like don't... three three years Yeah, four years 80, but I think the last year is not guaranteed, and the third year is only partially guaranteed. But, you know, as a young player, that's not going to be the case. Like, he's going to get full four years, but it depends what the number's going to be. I think he might get, like, an OG Ananobi type of deal where he got, like, four years, 72. But then you're paying, yeah. you're starting two guards, I guess, whoever that's going to be next year, Fournier and Reddish, $150 million for that position. That's not great. Uh, they'll, they'll ship Fournier off to OKC or Sacramento or something. Yeah, and take on another bad contract for a year. Ugh. Or just give up picks like they always do. They're the Knicks, man. <laughs> Who needs picks when you're the Knicks? <laughs> Why didn't they just do this in the offseason? They could have just avoided the Fournier to, you know, fiasco. I mean, if Fournier played against Boston every game, he'd be amazing, but you know, he doesn't do that. <laughs> Maybe obviously. they're just preparing for a Boston-Knicks matchup. Maybe that's their play. Yeah. You know that's the Knicks, they like to think in advance. Yeah, they're planning for the play-in turn- play tournament. <laughs> Great plan. Yeah. Uh, let's move on, guys. Uh, this past week, we had a big couple of big comebacks. Kyrie and Clay both came back. Hey, hey, Clay obviously, and Rui. Don't forget. So Kyrie and Clay <laughs> both came back this past week, and Josh, your boy, Thomas O'Brien, came back. Not <laughs> Oh my God, we're gonna talk about Thomas O'Brien and not Rui Hashimura. <laughs> yeah, like I said, so Thomas Bryant, uh, Kyrie Irving, and Clay Thompson all came back this week. Clay Thompson, obviously, after 941 days, was the biggest story. Uh, you know, suffered a couple of injuries. What was it? ACL and then an Achilles tear during his rehab. So, obviously, that was, what, game six of the 2019 finals? That was the last time we saw Clay Thompson on the court. Uh, Kyrie Irving sat 
all this year so far due to non-vaccinated status in New York. Obviously, the team said, screw off, you're not allowed to play. And then they gave in once their whole roster got COVID, including Kyrie Irving, once he was allowed to be tested again, which is hella ironic. And so I want to start with all this. Um, Clay came back and pretty much did exactly what we expected him to. For the very first basket of the game for him, he drove the lane and put up a floater. Exactly what we expected out of Clay Thompson. And then midway through the second or third quarter, midway through the game, like this is well into the game, he crosses over Jared Allen and just yams on him. These are, uh, this is everything we expect from like one of the greatest shooters of all time, right, Raj? Yeah, I think Clay's comeback this year is probably going to be one of the highlights of the regular season. I think that's probably the most hyped uh, the Chase Center has been since they opened that arena. Um, and he's a personality off the court. He's one half of the Splash Brothers going down in the NBA Finals against the Raptors on really an innocent play. Um, was devastating in his other setback. And uh, honestly, Clay, he brings a lot to the NBA. He just seems like a pretty simple, down to earth guy, kind of says it how it is. Amazing shooter. And I think the NBA missed him. And uh, honestly, I think if, if Clay's back, and of course, this next 45, 50 games of the season, uh, he gets back into playing shape. The Warriors are a serious business. Yeah, just like Clay does, he took 18 shots in about 20 minutes in his first game. And yep. uh, yeah, I mean, watching the game, you could see that he was moving well, which is the biggest thing. Even on defense, he was pretty solid. And he looks like he hasn't really missed a step, honestly, so far. I mean, if you were given the green light, wouldn't you chuck up 18 shots a game in, you know, like just over uh, a shot per minute? Absolutely. And. You know, the weird thing is, uh, you know, Golden State has like a pretty tough schedule coming up. So I thought when Clay came back that the media narrative might shift a little bit to saying that, you know, maybe the Warriors are better without Clay Thompson when they lose <laughs> four or five games in a row or four out of five games coming up. And maybe that'll happen the next couple of games, honestly, because you can see in the last couple of games, especially the rotation has been completely off. Like nobody really knows. It's sort of the case of Atlanta, right? All these guys who are playing 20 plus minutes a game are now playing five or ten minutes. Damian Lee barely plays anymore when he was playing really well in the early part of the year. Gary Payton didn't play as many minutes last game, so it's going to take some time for them to figure things out, but you know, by the end of the year, I'm sure they'll be fine. It's also a little weird because Draymond is out for the next few games as well, right? Like, he played for a minute, literally a minute during that Clay Thompson game, just so he could be back for the return. I think it was like six seconds. Like, he's been injured for the past week, and Without Draymond, I mean, that the defense of that team is in such a flux, right? And, He's a and primary al- facilitator as it is, and then defensive anchor. That's exactly it. Offensively, like you mentioned, he facilitates so much. He gets open looks for Steph and Clay. And uh, looking just at his first two games, Clay was a minus two in, a, a, in 20 minutes of action. He seems to be on a 20-minute restriction. And he was a minus two against the Cavs, but they easily won that game. And they had a great game against Memphis, who I know we're going to definitely talk about later. But uh, in 20 minutes of action, he was a plus 17. So that's pretty promising without a huge part of their offense in Draymond. Yeah, it'll be nice once uh, he actually gets his like, full legs back together. And we can see him running like 35, 38 minutes a game again. Because that, that's the Clay Thompson we actually want to see, right? Not uh, this 20-minute limit. Uh, do you guys really want to talk about Kyrie? 
comes back, has 22 and again in a game against Indy. Four days later, after a couple of Nets games at home, he drops another 22 against Portland in a loss. Uh, I think that was on like the tail end of a back-to-back for for Brooklyn, where they had to like rush there. And then uh, last night, just crushed the Bulls. He obviously had a bad shooting night, but Kyrie Irving, one of those guys that just, you know, he looks like he hasn't missed a step. He hasn't played since, you know, last last playoff run, basically, in the NBA at least. And uh, dude looks exactly the same. He doesn't look overweight like James Harden, like you thought he might. He looks exactly as he should as a, as a professional NBA player. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like going back, and it's, they're completely different players, obviously. Going back like 10 years ago, when you hear these stories about Andre Miller and him never working out in the offseason, but anytime he goes and plays games, he looks exactly the same, plays his style of game no matter what, and he's just going to go out there and do what he does and get buckets and lead his teams to victory. So, obviously, Kyrie's a lot more flash and a lot more exciting to watch than Andre Miller ever was, but same type of idea. <laughs> Kyrie gets in there and he just looks exactly the same as he always does. And his movements are exactly the same. He's super smooth with it, obviously. And there was talk about, um, like Woj put it out there that there's optimism that Kyrie could play in home games. And then he completely shot that down today by saying that the Nets basically can't do what was rumored and just paying a fine every game and that they're going to have to abide by New York's, uh, you know, mandates and regulations. So I guess that's not going to happen. And yesterday during the postgame press conference, James Harden said that, you know, if he has to, he's going to give Kyrie the jab himself. So that's <laughs> <laughs> How did I miss that? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yo. He was really Harden's pushing in the postgame guy. press conference from the quotes that I saw last night. So. Was he serious? Did you actually see this? I didn't see it, but I saw the quotes it? afterwards. Uh. Yeah, I, I got to research this after, man. That's that's hilarious, though. That's a good, good for yeah. James Harden. I can imagine that it. Shit. I can imagine it. He's bringing Kyrie to the strip club after a game, you know, giving him a nice pat on the shoulder. Boom! Right there's like <laughs> one job. <laughs> Yo, he's like he's like Dexter, man. He just yeah. catches you when you're not looking with a needle in the net. <laughs> James Harden, oh, out man. of all people. Yeah, oh, man, very but, righteous, uh, James Harden. Yeah, but let's. I, I do want to talk to what Josh mentioned about Kyrie. I think it's just because when you watch Kyrie, you know he's fundamentally sound in basketball. Like, of course, he's an, a crazy NBA athlete, but uh, I always wondered how much actual game time basketball was Kyrie playing when he wasn't it, active with the Nets. Like, of course, even practicing in uh, in for Brooklyn, he might be able to do that. But again, they're obviously away and they have team activities. And I don't know how much he was with the team, how much he was practicing. But when you put someone who's just so fundamental at basketball, I think it just comes naturally. Like they don't look like they miss a step. Uh, here's the clip, by the way. We're getting live audio. Some kind of fashion. We'll see Kai playing. Yeah, I'm going to give him a shot. I'm kind of old. In some Very short clip, but yes. <laughs> Okay. Good stuff, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> How invigorating. Uh, yeah, Kyrie Irving, even if he didn't play at all, he looks like one of those dudes who could have just been playing like at the Y or at LA Fitness, just you know, on his off time. Just messing around with people. Because like his game is so so fluid, right? And he doesn't he doesn't need other people. He can literally just show up at any court, just get buckets and then move on with his day. It's kind of like Jamal Crawford. Jamal Crawford was one of those guys who never like worked out in the summers either, right? He just he just hooped. 
Yeah, and Jamal so Crawford good. looks exactly the same right now as he did when he was 20 years old. He hasn't <laughs> aged at all. And, uh, you know, Clay Thompson, obviously, he was doing that when he tore his Achilles tendon, right? Apparently, he was going, you know, gym to gym. And Draymond Green, you know, recently came out that Draymond Green was extremely disappointed. He was with him um, during a couple of sessions to tell him to slow down, I guess, and not play every day when you're coming off, uh, you know, an ACL tear. And then, of course, he tears his Achilles <laughs> playing against a bunch of randos at an L.A. fitness gym. No, that's tough. All right, let's move on, guys. Let's talk about something much funner than Clay Thompson's injury. Your grit and grind at Memphis Grizzlies are 10-0 and 0 in their last 10. These guys are being carried by uh, a definite all-star this year. It looks at this point like starting all-star John Morant. And apparently their second best player, Desmond Bain, who Raj just apparently loves the hell out of. But this team is incredible, man. Their defense is popping. Their offense is flowing very well. Desmond Bain looks like he could be, uh, I, I don't want to say like a, I don't know. I don't know what to compare Desmond Bain to right now, but this dude has, has developed a lot more than what he was last year. Right? Last year he was one of the best, like, standstill shooters in the league. This year he's creating for himself. He's initiating offense for them. I mean, this team is flowing, and I haven't even talked about Jaron Jackson Jr. I haven't talked about Brandon Clark finding a better role. Dylan Brooks is injured. And has been injured pretty much all season. That's their best, like the best uh, defensive perimeter player. And this team is just rolling, man. Raj, like, at, like how far can the Memphis Grizzlies really take it? Do you think? Oh, before we go, how far they can go? I think we have to talk about how far they've come. Um, this team last year they played extremely well down the stretch. They had a great play-in game. They fought hard, but they're obviously a young and experienced team going into the playoffs. Uh, but, you know, I think the biggest thing for them was kind of having a bunch of players playing their roles and playing as a team. Like, clearly, uh, when John Morant was out, they still picked up the slack. But they also knew that no one was fighting for minutes. Everyone just wanted to win. Uh, and uh, obviously, one player that you touched upon is Desmond Bain. And he has to be probably, in my opinion, the leader for most improved player. Um He's their team is obviously one of the top teams in the West. Uh, funny enough, he was drafted by the Boston Celtics uh, and he did make all rookie second team. But uh, when he was traded to the Memphis, uh, when sorry, when he was traded to the Memphis Grizzlies, uh, I, I think a lot of players or a lot of people thought that he was going to be a role player, someone coming off the bench, not capable of starter. And he's probably one of the better two guards in the game right now. Uh, but how far can this team go? I think if things go well, they can probably end up in the second round of the Western Conference Finals, depending on the matchup, if they don't end up with a, a team like the Lakers. Yeah, I mean, they've proven they can beat everyone so far. They beat Phoenix. They beat Golden State. I think they beat Utah. And, uh, you know, I think Utah might be their worst matchup of those three, honestly. Um, but overall, I mean, you have to look at their defense, honestly. I think... We haven't mentioned that at all yet, and that's been the biggest change over the course of this period of time, right? Their first 19 games, they averaged 116 points per 100 possessions, the league's worst mark. And then over the last, how long has it been now? 24 games, they have by far the best defense, allowing just 102 points per 100 possessions. So they actually literally went from worst to first in two sections of the year. <laughs> And then obviously there was a situation with John Morant, you know, 
uh, being told off by fans that were sitting courtside saying, oh, we don't need you. We went 10-2 and without you. And yet here we are over this latter stretch of 24 games. They've allowed 101.5 points per 100 possessions uh, with Jaw on the floor. And they're actually better with him on the floor than they are off the floor. Because when he's off the floor, they allow 109 points per 100 possessions, which is... You wouldn't really think that, right? you think that John Moran's a pretty poor defensive player. And he stepped it up in the last little while. And you can see his effort, especially closing out to three-point shooters. Um, even in the Golden State game, he had two blocks, I think. One on a Gary Payton three-pointer, another one um, against uh, Damian Lee, I believe. So the biggest change has been in their defense, honestly. like They've been the best defensive team in the NBA the last uh, half of the year, last 24 games. And uh, if that continues, they can beat anybody. How are they? How are they scoring? Like I know it's easy to say John Moran's averaging like twenty five, thirty, thirty five points, whatever he's averaging, right? Like that's that's easy to say. We can say that Desmond Bain is hitting shots. We can say that Jaron Jackson Jr. is hitting threes. But I think it's more of a collective effort more than anything else, right? Like the offense is pretty spread out. You have guys chipping in like Brandon Clark or like Tyus Jones is playing really well. Uh, they brought in Killian Tilly, I believe, like a couple of weeks ago, and he had like a couple of big games. It's, yeah, it's more of like a, like a meld of, of efforts, right? It's not just like John Moran taking over and that's it. Like that's the whole team. It's more like John Moran's initiating for everybody. And it's, it's strange to see, but he has, uh, what, what am I trying to say? I think he has like real, I don't want to say Russell Westbrook potential just because of his thoughts, just because of his athleticism, but like prime D Rose, prime AI potential, like that type of point guard athleticism, the ability to take over games and still facilitate for your teammates. I, I think with jaw, he's shown last year and then especially this year that he's able to get to his spots and really it's especially with his athleticism, it's really hard to get in front of him. He's able to like stay in the air. Uh, his floaters games has been really good over the last year and a half. Um, but I think going back to their offense, I think they just kind of play like the successful systems we saw in, in San Antonio and golden state where they get the best shot available. And they move the ball around. Obviously, we talked about Baines finish, uh, Baines facilitating. Uh, Jaw is that guy that can get them out of um, late in shot clock situations. Uh, they have bigs that can space the floor. They have good depth. Uh, and then Josh talked about the defense. So uh, when you have good defense, it really gives you easy opportunities on the offensive end and doesn't allow the defense to be set. Yeah, they're not quite Toronto Raptors level of havoc on defense where they just run around like chickens with their heads cut off and create turnovers that way. But they are very active, obviously, and they create a lot in transition. And obviously, John Morant's elite in that in that situation. And Desmond Bain's hitting a lot of pull-up threes in transition as well. And, uh, you know, with Jaron Jackson now starting, um, with Steven Adams out, they've won, obviously all the games that he's been in the starting lineup, which is not usual for them. Like the last couple of years where he's been starting at center, they would get absolutely destroyed on the boards, especially. But he just wasn't the guy that could defend pick and rolls consistently and obviously play enough games in order to be effective uh, throughout the course of the regular season. 
And this year that's changed. I mean, he's been a defensive stalwart, even in the Golden State game. Like you'd expect him to make a lot of mistakes going against that type of offense where there's so many things going on every possession. But he was on the ball. And, uh, you know, I think one thing we haven't talked about yet is Steven Adams and how good he's been during this streak. I think he's eight points, 11 rebounds. They lead the league in offensive rebounding overall with him in the game and also defensive rebounding too. And then when he leaves the court, I think they're bottom 10 in rebounding. So he's made a huge difference for them, even though obviously lately he's been out and Jaron Jackson has filled that role really well. Over the course of the regular season, you need a guy like that in order to, I guess, keep Jaron Jackson um, healthy, first of all, not having to bang with all these seven-footers throughout the course mm-hmm. of the regular season. Steven Adams used to creating rebounds for other uh, teammates, you know what I'm saying? He's excellent at that box-out game for everybody else. He is, but this year he's getting his own. No longer uh, having to worry about Russell Westbrook coming in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's good, man. It's, uh, it's very shocking. It's great for Memphis because like, they were a play-in team last year. I'm pretty sure no one expected them to to really elevate this far. But, hey, man, good for them. And I want to touch quickly on the Raptors before we move on to Stats Corner, Josh. Seven, They've won seven of their last ten. Obviously, uh, we saw a couple of games where they beat the Jazz, who didn't send their A-squad. Same with the Warriors, didn't send their A-squad to Toronto just because, you know, COVID limitations and such. But they had a couple of games against, like, the Bucks, dominated them, even though they didn't have Giannis. They beat the Spurs, even though there was no DeJounte Murray. They beat down the Knicks, they beat down the Clippers. They lost to the Suns, whatever. But the, uh, the Raptors are very interesting right now. They're playing this this basketball that Masai Ujiri's wanted to create for the past, like, six or seven years, right? Long, athletic... Just like hoopers who can switch on everything and guard it or like anchored by one point guard, Fred Van Vliet. It's very impressive. So I just want to give them their flowers before we moved on. It's it's very rare that I give praise to the Ron Raptors, you know? Just gotta give them some love. And honestly, they should have beat the Phoenix Suns last game if they didn't have two of their starters out. So, I mean, they've been looking good recently and obviously... A lot of that has to do with, you know, the top players on every team sitting out because they don't want to get tested or there's contract tracing situations. Like Josh Hart sat out the game with New Orleans coming to Toronto <laughs> because of contract tracing, and then he played in the very next game. So a lot of these guys just don't want to get stuck in Toronto, um, having to quarantine for, I don't even know how it works now if opposing players come. I'm assuming it's five days, but who yeah. knows, but, you know, Rudy Gobert and all the Utah Jazz tested positive right before that game, too. So Toronto's got a bit of luck in this uh, these last you know six plus games, but overall their defense has looked on point, and Nick Nurse has found um, a bench lineup that's absolutely gigantic and has worked in the last ten games, having Precious Achua with Chris Boucher, Siakam, Barnes, and OG. So it's an absolutely massive lineup with arms <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, win, win or loss, uh, the Raptors are actually uh, a good watch because they play a kind of a grit style uh, they play different than everyone else which is nice it's a nice change of pace it's like watching the grizzlies back in the day with zebo and gasol when everyone else is exactly small. yeah no it's <laughs> nice shout out to zebo and gasol shout out to the grizz right. <laughs> you got any stats corner josh Yeah, just quickly, we're talking about the Grizzlies the last uh, 10 games or so in terms of defensive rating. Uh, since we'll go with uh, December 20th, the last couple weeks, can you name the top five defenses in the NBA? 
So other than the Grizzlies? Uh, actually, the last couple of weeks, the Grizzlies are number six overall. So we were talking about the last 24 games. This is the, basically the last oh. 10 to 12 games Marcus. or so. Okay. The okay. Phoenix Suns. Phoenix is number eight at 106 defensive rating. Okay. The Toronto Raptors? The Raptors are very low down the list, actually. Their defense, I mean, their offense has been number one or two, but their defense has been number 18. Wow. Wow. Okay, okay, who's hot? Who's hot, Raj? Come on, let's get uh, this. The Chicago Bulls. Chicago is not in the top 10. They are number 20. We're bad, we're bad, Peter. Yeah, we're awful at this. Uh, Golden State? Number three, 104.6. This other team beat Golden State recently and has had a real defensive surge getting in the top 10 now overall. Hmm. Western Conference team. Golden State recently. The Utah Jazz. Uh, Nope. Utah has been without Gobert, so they are number 19. Oh, wow. (laughs) Didn't expect that. Uh, Western Conference playoff team. No, Cleveland is number 13. Ooh. The Mavs? The Mavs, number two, 104.3. And then you have three Eastern Conference teams all within the playoff realm. Oh, give me Heat culture, baby. Miami Heat, number 10, 107.2. Give me the Boston Celtics. Boston, number five, 105.2. Whoa. The two J's getting along, okay. Uh, Philly? Yep, Philly just had their win streak snap, but they're 104.9. And the number one team we talked about first in this podcast. The LA Lakers? I'm pretty sure we talked about Russell Westbrook first, Josh. Yeah, okay, yeah. second then. <laughs> uh, who do we talk about? The Knicks? The Knicks? The Knicks? The Knicks? The Knicks? The Knicks at 104.3. The defense is back in New York the last couple weeks. Bing bong. Yeah, I think uh, wow. Tom Thibodeau can sleep. <laughs> no, I don't. Think imagine that's how good case. that. Imagine how good that defense will be now with Cam Reddish too. Oof! Without end Cam Reddish over Evan Fournier. Woo! If that happens, so, watch, man. I'm, I told you at the beginning of the year, Fournier is not going to close games, and this is happening. Yeah, totally get worth to twenty million. Uh, I didn't say that was a good idea, but I said he's not going to play. I think you might have said that was a good idea, but let's move on. Nah, shut up. Get out of here. Pretty sure you did. I want to thank everyone for listening. Please remember to rate and subscribe on iTunes, on Spotify. Leave us those comments. Leave us those five-star reviews. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at, at HoopsCornerPod. And until next time, peace. Peace.